everybody. Welcome to the November 2nd, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Governor John Hickenlooper's adventures in New Hampshire this week. Hickenlooper introduced himself to a voter as a candidate running for president. When asked to confirm later by a reporter, he walked back the comments. Kind of. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, Kyle Clark has a, uh, a segment on his program next that is the most Colorado thing I saw today. This week, that was the most Hickenlooper thing I saw because that was just quintessential John Hickenlooper. You know him best. What did you think? Well, it was definitely quintessential Hickenlooper. And it's interesting to think how it will play if he indeed runs for president. You know, he can be, when he has a gaffe, he can be very endearing and honest when he backs off. And that's what it looked like compared to, say, oh, the gaffe of our current president this week who was complaining that the slaying of 11 people in a synagogue had kind of slowed down the momentum for the Republicans. So having an endearing gaffe as opposed to one that sounds downright venal is refreshing. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Can this Robert Petrie tripping over an Ottoman charm work nationwide? <laughs> um, perhaps. Um, but more important is whether it can work in New Hampshire because that's ab after starting in February of this upcoming year, I think uh, you will see former Governor Hickenlooper more or less living in New Hampshire, which is kind of what you have to do um, if you don't come in with a lot of name recognition. It, it's a very long, grueling uh, campaign of you know people trying to find six people in a coffee shop to talk to, and the New Hampshire voters re really want to see you um, in person. And, you know, and, and but that's how a candidate like say Jimmy Carter can can come out of nowhere and, and do well sometimes. Eric, besides handling introductions better, uh, what else does Hickenlooper need to do as he uh, waits to become an official candidate? Well, two quick thoughts. One is he didn't need to make this comment to somebody at that stop. When a governor of Colorado gets off a plane in New Hampshire, that is the announcement. You don't need to say any more. Second, to the point of whether a sort of quirky, gaff-prone person like John Hickenlooper can survive the presidential sweepstakes, color me a little bit dubious. In this age of 24-7, 365 media, uh, I just don't know that in a, in a town like Denver when he ran for mayor, even in a state like Colorado, it becomes endearing. I think on a national level it just becomes fodder. Uh, so color me dubious about the whole thing. Susan Green, editor of Colorado Independent, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what do, you, what do you think? Was this classic Hickenlooper, or was it maybe more of a design to maybe get some press, especially maybe on this show? I don't think it was a design. I think it was a, a gaffe, not necessarily an endearing one. But, um, you know, here's a man who has set up a pack, the giddy-up pack, um, who, who really is not allowed to be campaigning for president as he's uh, raising money. So... I definitely don't think this was intentional. Um, again, nor do I think it was endearing, but I will say it was refreshing, albeit unintended, as a sort of moment of candor because I agree with Eric. The minute you get off a plane in New Hampshire, and he's been getting off lots of planes in New Hampshire, you know, the guy's running. And his brand, and that's his word, not mine, is authenticity. And um, this kind of coyness about, like, I'm not really running is kind of just doesn't really work with that brand, I think. An already record-breaking amount of money has been spent in Colorado's election this year, but that amount has now eclipsed $200 million. 
I feel like you should just say that with Mike Myers here. The $22 million from Jared Polis, along with $37 million spent by oil and gas companies, make up a large percentage of the total, but even unrelated races have broken records. Patty, we'll talk, we're going to do two rounds in the election, but let's, let's look at the money first. What kind of difference or impact has it made? Breaking, I mean, $200 million is a lot of money in a state like Colorado. What difference has it made? It's made television stations that are getting the ads very happy, radio stations that are getting the ads very happy. I'm not sure that it has really moved the needle on most of these campaigns. When you think about the money that's gone into 112 against, excuse me, against 112, which is, you know, the the people who put it on the ballot have spent a tiny amount compared to the opponents. And especially the money that is going into 74, which is the most cynical ballot measure we may ever have seen. If you took that money, so now going up to over 50 million probably combined, the money, especially from the oil and gas, you could go fix all the infrastructure problems in Colorado with that money, rather than have to have this nuclear option vote that we're going to have on Tuesday regarding 112 and 74. The other ballots um, are still also getting plenty of money, 73, 110, not 109. Um, but you just look at the amount of money, and I don't think it's really changed things. We haven't had a lot of smart campaigns. We've had a lot of dirty campaigns. We've had a lot of dirty ads. You just wish all this money could have gone to a truly good cause. David, uh, on to Patty's point, do you think this money has made an impact? Uh, maybe not so much as just uh, quantity, but has it come down to quality, and has that been lacking? I think there were some who would say that the oil and gas industry has put a huge amount of money into consultants um, that didn't turn out uh, the most efficiently as possible. This uh, 112 oil and gas ban is so ridiculously extreme, it should be at 12% um, in the polls. And the fact that it, it's closer than that is an indication they've, uh, uh, they could have done better um, in their uh, PR over, over the years. Um, but the amount of money in general is, look, we have a state budget of $30 billion and a federal budget that's just ginormous. And so when there's all that loot around, you're going to have tax consumers uh, who want to get as much of, that, of it as, as they can. And so, yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense for them to invest in a campaign uh, a certain amount of money, and they can hopefully get back way, way more money uh, from a legislative body uh, they control. And the campaign finance laws make it worse, like McCain-Feingold, and uh, a product of George Soros in large part, and our similar thing in Colorado, uh, which wouldn't have happened without Jared Polis. Uh, the rules happen to, when you really get down to the details, super benefit the ultra-rich at the expense of everyone else. Eric, we've talked around here about if you have so many ads, people, voters can tend to tune out or get a kind of a no attitude across everything because it, it just it's, it becomes frustrating. But is all this money in Colorado an endorsement that Colorado is still very purple? Because if opinions can't be changed, that's why so much money is coming here? Or is this just elections in 2018? I think it's elections in 2018. I think there's just been a ramp up of spending not just in Colorado, but all across the country. So the uh, the barrier to entry is is a much higher barrier. I mean, it used to be you could run a very credible, high-budget statewide ballot issue for five, six, seven million dollars. Five, six, seven million dollars when you're looking at the kind of money some others are spending right now doesn't go as far as it used to in in, in Colorado. 
Uh, I'm particularly intrigued with the polis expenditure here, and particularly with so many Democrats who it strikes me for years and years have get out of, gotten out of bed in the morning to talk about campaign finance reform, to, um, to wax eloquent about Citizens United or whatever, and, and to talk really about the evils of money in politics. But Jared Polis has built a career now, and that career will probably take him next Tuesday to the governor's mansion. Uh, he's built a career of defying those criticisms. Uh, he is the one person in the Democratic Party who seems to get a pass uh, on those issues, and he can spend his own money. I suspect his number will be up around 30 million when all is in. And uh, Democrats just wink and look the other way and say, that's Jared, that's okay. Susan, what is all this money, $200 million in Colorado, say to you? Uh, it definitely does not say that voters are more informed. Um, and, you know, they. It means that a lot of trees died for these things, and um, a lot of postage was spent. Um, but what we're seeing at the Colorado Independent is, is people writing in really confused about issues, really not up on um, state legislative races. They're looking for our coverage on that, and they're not. They're, they get nothing. Um, substantial from these mailers at all, so, and from the TV ads. Um, and I agree with Eric about the, this sort of ability of polis, and I think this has as much to do with the um, kind of, I hate to say this, flaccidness of, um, of Walker Stapleton's campaign, but that the, there really has not been the discussion around Jared Polis's, let's say, 30 million that I would have expected. Um, and so all, all I can say is it's not helping information at all. It's just uh, going into a lot of consultants' coffers and wasting a lot of paper. I think we're lucky the election's only a few days away because that probably would have been a campaign ad if this was three or four weeks ago, <laughs> your description of Walker Stapleton's campaign. But I, um, I can definitely understand your point. We've been talking about all the issues and races for months now. It's time to say how we think it's going to go four days from now. What's the surprise of the night? David, we'll start with you. Um, we'll just go with that question. What's the surprise four days from now? If we're going to guess on something happening, which I think consensus indicates won't, but, but might, then I would say Amendment 74, the, the property rights thing passing. And I, my main reason for saying that is Governor Hickenlooper wrote an op-ed for the Denver Post opposing it. And that is kind of a sign to me that whatever polls the Dems are running internally um, indicate that this is something that still has a shot. So, uh, Eric, we're going to be here on election night. Just as a good reminder for you, election night coverage is going to be right here from this very table in this very studio. Uh, Patty, David, Eric, and Natasha Gardner are going to join us from 8 to 10 o'clock on election night. Uh, what do you think will be likely the biggest surprise or the headline that we'll draw from that night's coverage? Well, maybe you ought to have somebody around this table right now doing punditry who actually called it right in 2016 <laughs> because we're asking uh, <laughs> our viewers to listen to a bunch of people and a bunch of pundits who got it completely wrong. Uh, that said, I think it will be the magnitude of the Democratic wave across Colorado. I would guess that the Democrats run the table, uh, that they finally get Mike Kaufman, uh, which has not happened in other elections when they had high hopes and poor performance, uh, that Jared Polis wins by a healthy margin, 
and that they sweep the down-ballot races. Phil Weiser, no matter how attractive a candidate George Brockler may be, uh, that Wayne Williams, despite being a very capable Secretary of State, goes down in the wave, uh, State Treasurer's Office as well, that it's just a wave election, and that the only thing that really matters on that ballot is the initial after your name, and people are voting D's versus R's, and this year they're voting for blue D's. Susan, as you're writing frantically, all the different headlines can be coloradoindependent.com on election night. What are the headlines that you think would be the most surprising? I would say uh, Crow in, in CD6 and um, the potential ouster of, of Mike Kaufman, finally. I mean, Democrats have put up some very good candidates in that district. And Mike Kaufman is like the weeble who doesn't, you know, fall down. But I agree with Eric in this wave. Um, number one, that's possible because of the wave itself. And I think that Crow has run a very good campaign. Um, I think. Also, the Wayne Williams, the Secretary of State race, is interesting to watch only because he's a fairly non-controversial Secretary of State incumbent, fairly well-liked, um, and he has been vastly out-campaigned and out-spent um, by Jenna Griswold. Um, so I would, and who, by the way, I have to say is the only woman on a sort of high-profile statewide ticket, and I think there are women in this state who are disappointed in the primaries, who are disappointed that there's not a woman to vote for for governor, and will be very much supporting her on Tuesday. Patty, uh, you know we don't worry about accuracy of predictions around here. If we well, have, that's we good if I'm going to answer this. <laughs> yeah, so we, if we worry about that for the last 26 years, we would not be on the air. Uh, but what do you think will be the most surprising headline we talk about uh, four days from at this very table? Well, I think the most surprising headlines are going to be the ones that won't be written four days from now because some of these are going to be very close races. And I'm thinking especially when you get to some of these ballot measures, we are still going to be counting and recounting. And you can imagine if there's anything remotely close on 112 and 74, there's going to be recount after recount. Uh, it's true that the fact that Hickenlooper, has, who had been fairly silent on 74, is now coming out strongly against it. And it is, as I said, the most cynical doomsday device that was created by oil and gas to attack 112. But it's late to be coming out. So I think in the next four days what we're going to see is an incredible get out the unvoted vote right now if we've got one-third of registered voters. People who really want to defeat certain things or push certain things right now, they have to make sure they get more people out voting. And that's what we're going to see over the next four days. But I think we will be sitting here at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night not knowing a lot of answers. I know one thing. Uh, John Caldera, one of our biggest fans and one of the biggest Trekkies I know, absolutely adores the fact that you brought up Doomsday Device. That, that was uh, uh, well said. And if everyone else is going to put out a prediction, I'll put up mine. I... Uh, uh, and like uh, Eric mentioned, uh, that wrong is just as anybody else was in 2016. But my gut tells me we'll have a lot of split tickets. Colorado likes to mix it up generally as a state, not for any particular reason. But it wouldn't shock me to see a split ticket. But who knows? Let's get to our next topic. Jamie Gillis, president of River North Arts District, officially announced this week that she is running for mayor of Denver. Gillis is founder of Centro, a firm that has worked on several urban planning projects in Denver. Eric, one more name, a pretty big name coming into the mayor's race. Uh, is this good or bad news for Mayor Hancock to see one more uh, big name in the race? I'd say on, on some, it's bad news in that it indicates a sense around town of vulnerability where more than one opponent is emerging. What we know now is that we will have 
a vibrant mayor's race, an engaged mayor's race, uh, vigorous debates, and that's what this city needs. I do not know Jamie Gillis. I'm looking forward to, to fixing that at some point before long. Um, but she strikes me as having an interesting profile, female, younger, um, with much more of a neighborhood focus. I think she could go one of two ways and could go there rather quickly. One is that she could really rise as the sort of neighborhood uh, a candidate who gets neighborhood politics and neighborhood involvement. The opposite scenario would be <coughs> she gets tagged as a River North person, gentrification, everything that people in other parts of Denver who are either affected by gentrification or just think that um, the, all this inner city growth is, you know, a lot of yuppies, creative class people they don't identify with. So I think that will be her challenge. But uh, I have a sense that her candidacy could be quite intriguing and could go some distance. Susan, uh, Rhino is a cool, new, hip neighborhood in Denver, but it, in some ways is indicative of some of the frustrations a lot of other Denverites have about Denver. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect Gillis's campaign for mayor? I mean, I think if she's, um, and she will be given a chance, obviously, to explain what she's been doing in Rhino, and I think what she's been doing is rather interesting in terms of smart growth. And so uh, that conversation in Denver is an important one. I mean, it's certainly not one that we've really had with our mayor. And, you know, it, it, I don't think the her entry into this race number one i don't think we know the field yet it's too early i'm sure we'll have other contenders as well but i think every additional candidate who's challenging this incumbent mayor is healthy for denver um i'm less interested in you know which candidate it is that then that we have conversations that the city has not had i mean we've not had conversations about affordable housing We've not had conversations about uh, huge problems in our safety department and the administration's failure to address them. We've also not had conversations about little things like this week, the city council sort of cleaned up this um, green roof issue in Denver. And I think it's interesting that, that that passed two years ago because Hancock was asleep at the wheel. Like It never would have happened that something like that would have passed under Hickenlooper, and certainly not Wellington Webb, where the mayor is just kind of looking the other way, and this major policy gets passed in his city seemingly without his knowledge. And so I think this conversation about who's watching you know, things at City Hall, who's really managing them, is important. And every new addition to the race makes that a better conversation. Patty, uh, what does Jamie Gillis's entry into the race bring to the growing uh, contingent of people looking to become the next mayor? It definitely brings someone who's got experience and smarts dealing with the city on a lot of st sticky problems. She didn't create Rhino. Um, Tracy Weil, an artist, and Jill Hadley Hooper did 15 years ago, and Tracy Weil has stepped in to be the president of the Rhino Arts District now while Jamie Licko Gillis runs for mayor. And I think what we see is if... Tracy and Jill and um, Jamie hadn't been as smart and with their board as smart as they were, there would be nothing at all of interest left in Rhino because that growth was going to happen. They weren't, they'd just tried to put the brakes on and to keep Rhino somewhat creative and artistic because the city wasn't doing anything. And I think we're going to have a long postponed conversation about where do we want to see Denver going. She'll definitely add to it. Lisa Calderon will add to it. Penn Tate will add to it. Kaylin Heffernan is going to add to it. So we're going to have really good debates, I think. David, when we see more names of significant stature enter the mayor's race, 
Is that good news for Hancock because it dilutes the pool, or is it bad news because there's just one more person who thinks they could take him down? I, I think it's bad news because in, unless he gets 50% in, in round one, then he goes into a runoff against whoever came in, sec, came in second. And that's how previous mayors have, have gone down. It's how Bill McNichols finally lost. Um, so it, it increases the chance that somebody will be really good and there's a diversity of people who, to emerge who, who could win that, uh, the, the runoff election. We don't, you know, she, she's not well known uh, currently, but like John Hickenlooper, who came out as a very unknown businessman uh, from a then trendy uh, Denver neighborhood, uh, you, you can catch on. That's a good point. Well, it is time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. Patty, please, as always, start us off. Well, we know Brownstein Hyatt has done a lot for the city over the last 50 years, including buying, I think, a whole year's worth of tapes from Colorado um, Public Television to see what we had said about them. But I would argue it wasn't a good it wasn't good timing to proclaim November 1st Brownstein Hyatt Farber Day when there's a considerable <laughs> amount of controversy right now over that firm's refusal to turn down $125,000 a month in Saudi lobbying. Uh, inauspicious timing, indeed. David. Every day that the Colorado government is open for business is Brownstein Hyatt Day. Um, the amount of people who have been legitimizing notorious anti-Semites and race haters, uh, such as Louis Farrakhan and, and Al Sharpton over the years, and even now Keith Ellison uh, is the number two guy in the uh, National Democratic Party and his party's nominee for Attorney General of Minnesota. Uh, so it's no wonder why people feel that, that anti-Semitism is acceptable these days. Eric. Ditto to both Patty and David. Uh, our president this past week, you could go a number of directions with uh, him, but the uh, threat to tr basically by executive order get rid of the birthright uh, process of citizenry in this country, that became part of our Constitution exactly 150 years ago, July of 1868. And Donald Trump thinks that just by the signature on a pen, he's going to turn that over, even leaving aside the propriety of it uh, and the ethics of it, the legality of it is not there, needlessly divisive, typical. Susan. 18th Judicial District, George Brockler, who appeared on this program on a, a debate at this station, and um, I won't say lied because Eric urged me to say alternate facts, um, but gave some alternate facts about his position on transparency um, in a question that he was asked actually by Eric um, about his position on sealing judicial records that have to do with his office's prosecutorial misconduct. And the debate uh, that uh, Susan is referring to, along with our entire slate of election debates. We did uh, eight of them during the general election season in addition to our student debates. They're all available at cpt12.org. If you're still waiting to fill out your ballot, you need a little more information, be sure to check them out. Time to see something nice. Patty. Denver Arts Week, which starts today and continues actually a little past a week. Free night at the museums all over town tomorrow night, which is definitely a great bonus, and there are many, many other good programs. David. John Bolton for speaking out against the Troika of tyranny in the Western Hemisphere, uh, Cuba, and then its colonial uh, states, Venezuela and Nicaragua, where the governments are, in essence, run by the Cuban secret police. Eric. Journalism in this city is operating with uh, fewer resources than it once did, but I have to say, even in light of that, 
the political coverage has been robust and, and in many cases rather good. Hats off, whether it's the Colorado Independent, Susan's publication, the Colorado Sun, the Denver Post with a bunch of new political staff people. Colorado Public Radio has done an exemplary job. Some of our television friends, Sean Boyd in particular at Channel 4, Kyle Clark and Marshall Zellinger at Channel 9. I could go on. But um, I think they de deserve some serious kudos for uh, the political work they've done. You're here. It's been like drinking from a fire hose with all the information. It's, uh, it, I completely agree. Susan. Yay for fire hoses of news. <laughs> I uh, want to say something nice about the uh, Colorado Sun and the Denver Post and the Colorado Press Association for contributing financially um, and helping us at the Colorado Independent defray our costs of uh, our petition for cert at the U.S. Supreme Court having to do with the openness of judicial records in Colorado. And I will second that, that we can list multiple uh, journalistic organizations all doing great work around. Uh, that's uh, it's nice to see. Finally, as we close the uh, close of the election season, two important reminders. One, as I mentioned earlier in the program, we will feature live election night coverage right here from the CPT 12 studio from 8 to 10 p.m. Our coverage will include results from live and live reports from CBS4 and KOA News Radio and the astute analysis of these great panelists, including Patty Calhoun, David Copel, Eric Sonderman, and our friend Natasha Gardner from 5280. Uh, we hope you join us. It's, uh, it's, it, it, I will tell you right now, it'll be kind of an old-school election night uh, night coverage. It's going to be analysis-heavy. We'll have our laptops out. There'll be notes. We'll be kind of just flowing with what's going to be happening. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, again, live from 8 to 10 on election night. Secondly, we feel that offering debates in our election coverage is our duty to our community. We've been proud to do it for over 20 years, but it's not cheap. If our debates and coverage have been valuable to you, please consider becoming a member. Let us know that this is important to you. It's your support that makes it possible. And if you're already a member, thank you so much for making it happen. And finally, I just want to say thank you. I've been having the, uh, a wonderful opportunity at many different places to run to folks who have seen either this program or our debates or have been as impressed as I have been with our Both Sides of the Story high school debate series. Because uh, and when they say, hey, I've seen this, I like seeing this, or I have an argument with somebody, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for watching. We love doing these programs, but it is a big deal for us that uh, folks are tuning in. We always hope it's uh, beyond my parents who are watching this program. So it's always heartening to see that there are other folks watching, that there's value to it. We're grateful for your support. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you Tuesday night. Good night. Thank you.